If we haven't met before, my name is Brent Smith, and I'm uh, one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and uh, we're certainly glad that you're here with us. Um, and as, as Mark said at the first, Joe is in the UK uh, today. He's been there all week. Ollie and Hazel and their family, I believe, kids went, yeah, and their family are down in Halifax this weekend, just going down to uh, encourage that bunch down there and just spend the weekend with them. And, uh, and also Mark and I are going to head out to Vancouver on Tuesday uh, for a conference out there. And so lots happening, lots of people going around to different places. And so Mark and I uh, would certainly appreciate your prayers, mostly Mark, as he deals with me and big city life. Um, <laughs> so just lift him up if we can have like a prayer group that meets at the building. That would be good, something like that. So no panicking. No panicking. I might, I might ride in my first bus, who knows. <laughs> There's a story behind that, I can tell you at some time. How many times have you been on a plane, Oh, I've been on a plane lots, like three. <laughs> so basically, the story behind it is like, what, four or five years ago, Joe and I went to Ontario and we traveled around to a few different churches and I was tagging along and it was great. And uh, Andrew Fountain... Uh, took us to downtown Toronto, and we got a little farther than we anticipated, and he said, we better take a taxi to get back, and we get in the taxi, and we're driving, and I lean over to Joe, and I said, Joe, this is my first time in a taxi, <laughs> and he was just like, what? <laughs> you live in the country, you turn 16, you buy, eight, you pay, buy a car for $800, and off you're going, right? And so, why would I ever be in a taxi? So anyway, but I've been in the taxi, so people who haven't been in a taxi are just weird. <laughs> All right, let's get going. So two weeks ago, we began our series in 2 Corinthians titled Live the Paradox, and uh, we looked at just the, we kind of did a broad uh, background and the theme of the letter, and we looked at the city of Corinth, we looked at the church in Corinth. Uh, so if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, because uh, it really sets the stage for what we'll read here in Paul's letter. We looked at how Paul came to write the letter, why he wrote it, the main themes, etc. And so last time, we saw that the reason Paul wrote this letter was because a major rift was beginning to form between himself and the church there in Corinth, and they were beginning to be led astray um, and away from Paul's apostleship over them. And really three things contributed to that. They kind of felt he was fickle. Was he really hearing from God? He said he was coming and then he didn't come. Who is this guy anyway? There's these men that show up that Paul hilariously refers to as the super apostles and they're preaching to them and, and, and kind of courting them away from Paul. And then also there was this uh, desire among the Corinthian church uh, to have a gospel of glory that uh, was absent from suffering. They wanted a gospel that was just prosperity and good things in your life and uh, kind of passed over any idea of suffering. And that is really what Paul looks to address right off the bat in his opening statement in 2 Corinthians. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 1. And we're going to start in verse 3, and we're just going to read that paragraph down to verse 7 
And from this text, I think Paul is going to answer two very big questions for the church then and for the church today. And the two questions are, does God care about my suffering? And does God have a purpose in my suffering? Does God care about what I'm going through? And is it, is it just meaningless? Is there any purpose behind it? And so already we can start to see that what God's been sharing through worship is going to line right up with his word, which he doesn't talk out of two sides of his mouth. And so that's encouraging uh, when we see that. Okay? So, let's pray and then we'll dive in. So, Father, we are so thankful for what you've already done this morning through the words that we've been singing, through your presence here with us, through uh, the, the contributions that people have brought uh, as they felt you stirring them. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would continue to lead us, uh, that you continue to change us by your word. Uh, we continue to ask that your spirit would be here uh, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. And we pray that you would come now by your spirit and change us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, so he does a brief introduction, a brief greeting, and then he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So here in the first uh, seven verses of Corinthians, we find the Bible's main text on comfort in four verses from three to seven, Paul uses the word comfort ten times. It's just comfort, 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 comfort. And you're like, Timothy, bring a brother a thesaurus so we can get a few different words <laughs> here. But Paul's repetition is meant to drive that home for us. He has something he's, he's intent on doing, and that's driving it in our heads that God is a God of comfort. And so when we come to the first question, does God care about my suffering? We're going to see that it's a resounding yes. He cares and he comforts. He cares and he comforts. And this idea of God's comfort is not new in 2 Corinthians. If you go way back to the book of Isaiah, the prophet says in Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then later in chapter 66, he says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And then we get to the New Testament, and there's a story of Jesus being brought to the temple shortly after he was born. And, in, and it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, or other translations say he was waiting for the one who would comfort Israel. And so this biblical theme of God's comfort is all through the Bible. There's this promise throughout Scripture of God comforting his people. And Paul is just picking that up here in 2 Corinthians. He greets the Corinthian church, and then before writing anything else, he just wants to bless God. He says, Let, let's just, I know there's lots of stuff we need to cover. You and I aren't on very good terms right now. There's lots of things we got to get through. But first, I just want to celebrate God's comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of comfort and the Father of all mercies. So, time out. Before we go any further, we've got to get a handle on what is meant by the word comfort, right? If somebody says something ten times in four verses, we should probably know what he's talking about by the word comfort. And oftentimes, nowadays, we probably think of the word comfort as kind of a soft, fuzzy word. We have material things that are comfortable, flannel pajamas and your grandmother's quilt and lazy boy recliners, right? We sometimes talk of people bringing words of comfort, which means they said something very nice, very quietly, right? They just brought a nice word of comfort, and it's usually kind of way down here, and it's just very nice, right? Particularly relevant for us right now is we comfort a crying baby. We talk of comforting a crying baby, which means that we hold them very gently, and we kind of bounce them very gently, and we do like a shh, 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 shh kind of noise. You have other techniques. You can email them to brent.smith, <laughs> christcentral.ca. But pretty much every time we speak of comfort, it's always soft and gentle and fuzzy, right? It's quiet, and that's fine, but we've kind of lost part of the de definition of comfort which means to strengthen and encourage. Which means to strengthen and encourage. Amy Carmichael was a missionary the late 1800s, early 1900s, and she brought the gospel to countless children that she rescued from temple prostitution in India. And without taking a furlough in 55 years, she experienced much suffering and hardship. And she said this, she said, the word comfort is from two Latin words meaning with and strong. He is with us to make us strong. Comfort is not soft, weakening commiseration. It is true, strengthening love. Comfort is true, strengthening love. He comes with us to make us strong. And so we've got to get that right in our heads about what comfort is. Probably the best uh, picture I could give you of what that true strengthening love is like, what comfort is like, is if you picture yourself, you're in a blizzard, it's minus 30, and the car gets stuck, you spend like two hours trying to get it out, you're exhausted, you're numb from the cold, and you finally get home, you stumble in, you're just spent, you're frozen, and there on the table is a piping hot helping bowl of comfort beef stew all right if you're frozen and you're weak and you come home 
and there's just a piping hot bowl of beef stew on the table. That is true strengthening love on the table. If you're not, Kelly's not with me for some reason. We can pray for him later why he doesn't like beef stew. But beef stew isn't soft, it isn't gentle, it's hearty, and it's thick, and it heats your bones, and it strengthens you and brings you back, right? Comfort beef stew, okay? No? Okay. So throughout this message, your mind is want to go back to fuzzy quilts and warm pajamas, and you're going to have to fight back with beef stew, okay? <laughs> Just fight back. No, it's true strengthening love, okay? It is God coming alongside to make us strong, to encourage us, to keep us going, okay? We're frozen, we're spent, we need comfort, okay? So it's not just nice, comforting words, it's beef stew. So fight with me, beef stew, okay? All right. Well, you're just going to a whole other level of comfort, Dave. I don't know if we're ready for that level of comfort. So Paul tells us that God is the God of all comfort. And we live in a world of sin and suffering. And the greatest thing we need is a God of comfort. We need the Father of all mercies. And He is the God of all comfort. He is a Father who loves to console and care for and comfort His children. And our view of God can become so skewed and twisted and this is a verse we need to lock in. He's the God of all comfort. And even we as earthly parents, as imperfect and sinful as we are, we comfort our children in their suffering. We run to them, we scoop them up, we put band-aids on things that do not need band-aids. A bruise, a band-aid on a bruise does nothing. But we comfort and we console. So how much more does an all-powerful, holy, wise, perfect God comfort His children? Children that He has bought and brought into His family at the cost of His Son. And so I don't know what kind of stuff you've been through even this week. I don't know what you're in now. None of us know what you'll go through next week. But He's a God of comfort. He's a comforting Father. And Paul says that He comforts us in all our affliction. He, com he comforts us in all of our affliction. Through all different occasions of affliction, through all types of affliction, God comforts His children. And throughout the letter... Paul shows the kinds of afflictions that he went through and experienced God's comfort in, which is great, but not many of us have been whipped or shipwrecked or stoned. Uh, but God comforts us in all of our regular, ordinary afflictions as well. He comforts us in all of our affliction. He comforts us in emotional affliction. Grief over the loss of a loved one, disappointment, heartache over a child who has walked away from God, God comforts. In physical affliction, chronic pain, debilitating arthritis, shingles, 
migraines, cancer, God comforts. In relational affliction, when you suffer injustice at your workplace or school, when your name is drugged through the mud by rumors and gossip, when you are ridiculed for being a follower of Jesus, and even in the crippling blow of a high school breakup, God comforts. He comforts in mental affliction, in circumstantial affliction, the things that just happen to us because of life. Someone rear-ends our car and it's totaled. The company downsizes and we lose our job. Uh, our kids all grow up and move out and we suddenly find ourselves as empty nesters. He comforts us in circumstantial affliction, in psychological affliction, anxiety, mental illness. God comforts in spiritual affliction, doubt, fear, attacks. God comforts. He comforts us in all of these things and thousands more. God is able to comfort his children. And many of you in this room are going through some of the things that I listed. Some of you just got a checklist and you're just like, mm-hmm, yep, yep, been there, done that, that one's probably coming, right? And if that's you, then the tendency can be to look around the room and say, well, look at their life. They've got it all together. Look how, how well that's going for him. But it's important for us to remember that there's not one person in this room who is not afflicted. There's not one person here who is not experiencing affliction of some sort. Doesn't mean it's all equal. Doesn't mean it's all equal. But there's not one person in this room who isn't afflicted. Whether you're 70 years old and you've had to break down and buy one of those pill organizers because it's getting too hard to manage, or whether you're seven and your BFF told the friend on the playground that she didn't want to be your BFF anymore and wanted to be her BFF, which we've experienced in the last few weeks, which I haven't had sisters. That's new ground for me. I'm just like, won't we just go talk to your mom about that one? But a seven-year-old girl on the playground can be afflicted all the way through to 77. There's not one person who is not going through some sort of affliction. We are all afflicted. And it's something we always have to hold on to, that we are sinners in need of saving, and we are also sufferers in need of of comfort and to be sure our main problem is sin that needs to be dealt with but we can't ignore the fact that this city is full of hurting afflicted people we are sinners and we are sufferers we just had our all together out and we took some time again to look at ways that we can reach out to our city We've got Alpha coming. We've got different social events that you can invite your friends to. Kids Club beginning in the summer. And in all our efforts to reach our city with the good news of Jesus, we have to hold those two, that we are not just serving sinners. We are serving sufferers. If we just focus on their suffering, then we don't get the gospel out. But if we just see them as sinners then we don't accurately represent the God 
that we're trying to get them to know who is a God of all comfort and a Father of mercies. And so we go holding those things in balance that sinners and sufferers. We have a God who isn't just concerned about remedying our sinful heart, but about healing our broken heart as well. So right now, you might be asking, all right, so God cares about what I'm going through. He's a God of comfort. I get it. But how does God comfort me? Which is a great question to ask. So thank you for asking. He's a God who comforts us in three ways. In the first way, uh, God comforts us in our affliction is by his presence. He comforts us by his presence. I made them all P's so you could remember them easily. He comforts us by his presence. The early church was marked by suffering and persecution. There were no cathedrals or Christian bookstores on the corner. Uh, they were too busy being uh, killed for that. Um, they were marked by persecution and affliction. And it says in Acts 9:31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There is a comfort by the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is always with us. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. As his children, we even have his spirit dwelling in us, but there are times when we experience the comforting presence of his spirit in a greater way. It's similar to what Gary was speaking of earlier. Thomas Goodwin a famous Puritan, he used a great analogy to explain it. He said he, speak, he speaks of a father swooping up his toddler son into his arms, swinging him around and saying, you are my son and I love you. And in that moment, the boy has in no way become more his father's son in a legal sense. He is and will always be his father's son legally. However, being caught up in his father's arms, he feels his sonship more deeply, more intimately, and is comforted. And so there is the subjective experience of the Holy Spirit, His presence comforting us based on objective truth, like Gary was saying. But we know it. Second, God comforts us through His promises. The very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And because we belong to Jesus, we can grab hold then of all the blessings that are ours in Christ. We are afflicted. We can get the promises of God in our hands and not let them go. We can get the promises of God in our hands and not let any suffering Pry them out. The promises of God comfort us. The reason you are comforted by singing there is a day is because it's full of the promises of God for you. In the verses we'll look at next time, in verses 8 and 9, Paul's going to talk about a time when death was staring him in the face, but he was comforted by the promise that God even raises the dead. We'll see that next time. He's staring death in the face. He's comforted by the promise 
that God raises the dead. That even the great champion of death doesn't, is, doesn't hold anything in the ring next to God. He's defeated. So why do you think you hear so much about reading the Bible? Why do we do things like the Bible Project so that we can say we've read the whole Bible, so that we can say, Nahum, I've read that, so that we can grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the Bible? No, so that we can know the character and the promises of God and we can grab hold of them and when suffering and affliction comes to sweep us away, we are firmly anchored down into the promises of who God is and what He has done and what He will do. The rock-solid, comforting promises of God. Promises that He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. Promises that He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Promises that He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without His will. Promises that all things now must work together for my salvation. Promises that because I belong to Christ by His Holy Spirit, I am assured of eternal life. Promises that He is equipping me with every good thing that I may do His will and is working in me that which is pleasing to His sight. These are our rock-solid promises that we get a hold of and we are comforted by. And lastly, we're comforted by the people of God. If you flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and in verse 5, 7, 5, Paul says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Don't you just love how real the Bible is? Sometimes you hear people talk about spirituality and they're sitting on a deck overlooking a garden with Oprah and it all sounds very confusing and detached from regular day-to-day life. And Paul's like, I was in the pits, I was afflicted, fighting without, fears within, and God comforted me. Oh, how did God comfort you? Oh, well... Uh, Titus drove up to Macedonia and he spent the weekend. He knocked on my door. He had two orders of Cannon's Cross nachos. And we spent the, the weekend together sharing stories and laughing and praying together. I took him around the city. I showed him where we'd been preaching. And I was comforted. It's not detached from day to day life. We are comforted by the people of God. You can't miss how amazing it is. Setback, frustrations, I was down. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted me. How? Well, there's a knock on the door. That's how he comforted me. There was a friend who visited. There was an email written. I got up and I checked my inbox. And there was an email from Titus. And he comforted me. It's, it's regular everyday life it's not way up here and you have no idea and you're like what in the world are we even talking about he's like god comforts the downcast 
by Titus coming to visit me. So one of the ways we experience the comfort of God is through being with the people of God. We have the presence of God in our life that we can experience. We have the promises of God. We get this book in our head so it can get in our heart so that no matter what suffering comes, we can stand on those promises and not be swept away. And we have the people of God in our lives that comfort us. Which leads us right in to our second question when it comes to suffering, which is, does my suffering have a purpose? It's all fine and dandy that God cares for me and comforts me in my affliction, but what's the point of it all? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Does my suffering have a purpose? And Paul's answer is yes, your suffering does have a purpose. And though probably he's not exhaustive here in his approach, Paul shows us very clearly that our affliction is never meaningless. Does God does have a purpose behind it. Look at what he says again. He says in verse 4, God who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And so very important is that so that we experience affliction so that that's the hinge. Everything else is the reason that we went through the affliction. And Paul gives two reasons. First, he says we go through affliction to experience God's comfort. He says that as we share abundantly in Christ's afflictions, meaning we will experience the same sufferings Jesus went through as we take up our cross and follow him, as we share abundantly in Christ's afflictions, we will also share abundantly in comfort. So there is a measure of God's comfort that we know by going through affliction that we would not know had we not gone through the affliction. Right? There is a measure of God's comfort that he pours out on us that we would not know had we not gone through the affliction. Spurgeon said, the spade of trouble digs the reservoir of comfort deeper. The spade of trouble digs the reservoir of comfort deeper. So we don't try to chase down suffering, but we don't need to run from it either. So when we turn on our TV and there's a preacher on there and or a book shows up in your local bookstore and it's all very nice and he has a nice smile and he tells you very sincerely that when Jesus died on the cross, what he did for you was give you a life free of sickness. He gave you a life of prosperity on earth. He gave you a life of wealth and goodness, a life of ease. It can sound attractive and compelling, but it's actually a gospel of lesser glory than the gospel that we read in the Bible. It's a gospel of lesser glory. And he's trying to encourage you by preaching health and wealth in Jesus' name. 
but biblically, our encouragement comes from knowing that when we share in abundant sufferings, there are also abundant comforts along with it. When we abound in sufferings, we abound in God's comfort. The Bible tells us that one of the reasons we go through hardship and suffering is that so we can experience more of God, so that we can know something of God's comfort that we would not know had we not gone through what we went through. And Paul's second reason for going through suffering is not only so that we can abound in God's comfort, but so that the comfort we enjoy from God can then rebound to those around us so that we can abound in God's comfort and then that comfort can rebound to those around us. Look at what he says in verse 4 there. God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves experience from God. So we went through the affliction and were comforted by God so that we can then comfort those in any affliction. So we suffer so we can be comforted so that we can then comfort others who are being afflicted as well. And so we aren't meant to keep God's comfort for ourselves. If you look at chapter 7, when Paul talks about being comforted by Titus, he says, not only by Titus's coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, the Corinthians. And so the Corinthians had comforted Titus. Titus goes to visit Paul and comforts him. And Paul is now writing to the Corinthians to comfort them. There is a circuit of comfort. Comfort from God is not meant to terminate with the one who receives it. It is a circuit of comfort. So when we encounter suffering, oftentimes the first things we say on our lips is what? Why? Why me? But Paul is showing us here that the answer may have less to do with us than it does with someone else who is in need of the comfort which we are receiving right now from God. Scottish preacher James Denny wrote, We are selfish and instinctively regard ourselves as the center of all providences. We naturally seek to explain everything by its bearing on ourselves alone. We naturally seek to explain everything by its bearing on ourselves alone. We do that, don't we? We live in such isolation, so individualistic in our thinking, so separated from real community, that it doesn't even cross our minds to think this way. We naturally seek to explain everything by its bearing on ourselves alone. But God doesn't call us to live naturally and follow our hearts. He calls us to live supernaturally and follow His Son, Jesus. And so we hit suffering and we're like, why God? Why me? And God's like, because of Him and because of her over there. Because there's a young couple that's going to join your church next year, and they're going to be right at the breaking point 
with their son and the challenges that he's had and the suffering you're going through now, not only am I going to pour out my abundant comfort on you, I'm preparing you now to comfort them then. Because when you get involved with Kids Club this summer, you're going to meet a single mother who's right in the pit of depression and you're going to be able to say, I've been there. And not just in a you suffer and I suffer and let's suffer together, but in a you suffer, I suffer, and in my suffering I've experienced the comfort of God and I want you to experience the comfort of God as well. This is what Dave was talking about when he came up. We are broken people going to broken people and saying there's a great God who's given me strength to go through what I'm going through and I want you to know him. I want you to know him. I've experienced his comfort in the midst of my suffering and you're in suffering and I want you to experience that comfort as well. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And it doesn't mean that you have to go through the same thing that they've been through. But you can say, I've been in this place and I've known God's comfort and so I know that it's true for what you're in as well. It's a whole different way of thinking. It's a dynamic way of living. It's seeing not only my affliction and my comfort as, or it's, it's seeing not only my comfort is for your comfort, but my affliction is for your comfort as well. And so affliction and comfort are just doubling up to pour out comfort on those who are being afflicted around us. We share abundantly in God's comfort so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction. They are not just sinners in need of saving. The world is full of hurting, suffering people who are in need of comfort. The person sitting beside you is not just a sinner in need of grace. They are a sufferer in need of comfort. And that's what is amazing about all this is that we can come alongside people who've gone through stuff and we can say, I've been there. And what's amazing is that the God who comforts us says to us as well, I've been there. I've been there. There isn't an affliction that you've gone through that I haven't already gone through. Physical affliction, chronic pain, I know what pain is like. I know what rejection is like. I know what these things are like. I've been there. We serve a God who isn't detached. We serve a God who says, I've been there. Jesus came. Look at what Paul says at the end. He says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. In light of all this, he says, my hope for you, Corinthians, is unshaken. I have an unshakable hope for you. In other words, go ahead, take risks, whether it's serving at Alpha, whether it's go packing your family up and going halfway around the world like we saw Thursday night, 
We don't need to be afraid of suffering in our pursuit of building God's kingdom and following Jesus. We have an unshakable hope. And no matter what suffering might come, no matter what affliction might come, we know that as it abounds, God's comfort will also abound. And the world that we're going out and reaching, as they see us endure suffering, and not just endure, but the Bible talks about being sorrowful yet rejoicing because we know God's comfort is also abounding to us as the world sees us endure through suffering in that way, as they see us being comforted by God in the midst of our afflictions, and then as they too experience that comfort through us, it all works together so that they too might put their hope in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And his kingdom goes. And so your suffering is not meaningless. He has a purpose. He is not cold in the midst of your affliction. He cares and he comforts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And in our sin and in our suffering, we'd be completely lost unless you were those things. Unless you are who you are, we'd have no hope. Because, But because you are who you are, as a God who comforts us, as a Father who is merciful towards us, we have an unshakable hope. And so I just pray, Father, that you would comfort those of us here who are in the midst of affliction, who are just in, the, in a battle. We pray right now that you would comfort by the presence of your Spirit. We pray that you would enable us as a church to be people who aren't just concerned about sinners receiving grace, but about sufferers receiving comfort as well. And so we pray that we wouldn't chase suffering, but we wouldn't run from it either. We wouldn't curse you in the midst of it, but we'd see that you care for us, that you have abundantly comfort us, and that you have a purpose in it. That we then are able to comfort those who are in any affliction. For your glory we pray. Amen.